Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. I'm finishing our series in the book of James today. And it has been an epic series, seven or eight weeks um, as we've been through this lockdown period. We've been immersed in the book of James, which has been deeply, deeply challenging. I didn't quite realise how profound it was going to be. Scripture is always profound. Maybe it's me that needs to be more profound. But it's really hit so many timely subjects. And, and again, today is one as we're gonna look at wait patiently, pray fervently. You know, the, the title of our series is Real Faith. Faith that makes a difference. What happens when the rubber hits the road? What does our faith look like? And it's a question that we're asking right now in the situation that we're in, what difference does our faith make? And that's what James is unpacking. Now, I should have realised it was going to be a pretty challenging series very early on in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's like, wow. I think if I was writing the book of James, it would be consider it pure joy when your life is straightforward and easy. And that would have been it, which is why I didn't write the book of James, because I'm not as profound. But I love the way that James takes the teachings of Jesus, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, And then he combines them with a literature like that of Proverbs. And so we could talk about James, this book of James, being wisdom literature. And so the the secondary half of the book, there's 12 little lessons of wisdom. And so today we're going to be addressing the last two in chapter five of the book of James. And as we come into finishing the series, James returns to a theme that has been present throughout this book, how to deal with trial and difficulty. So today's called Real Faith, Wait Patiently, Pray Fervently. Now I've caught up with a number of people over these last two weeks in particular, you know, as the regulations have changed slightly, it's been great just being able to see a few faces and on the phone as well. But one of the things that's come through as I've been speaking to people is how many of them feel like they're hanging on by their fingernails. It feels like it's an incredibly stressed and difficult time. There is a a level of exhaustion in society that I've not seen before. And it's not just a few people, but it seems to be a lot of people. Now I know there are some of you will be doing great and that's wonderful, but that's just what I've noticed. A combination of nervous uncertainty and this deep, deep tiredness and an exasperation as well. How do we, as the people of God, steward our souls in moments like this? This situation that we find ourselves in right now, today, on a Sunday, how are we stewarding our soul? That's a question that I've kept coming back to you for myself, and it's a question that I want to keep coming back to you with. And what does James have to say to us about this as well? And as always with the book of James, he has a lot to say. So we're going to pick it up in verse 7. So grab your Bibles. If not, just come up on the screens. It says this. Chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. It's that word again, isn't it? Stand firm. That seems to keep coming back. We looked at it in the passage in Ephesians 6. 
And it's, it's like a message, it's a word for this season. Stand firm, take your stand, rise up as the people of God. That's what it looks like to steward our soul. Rise up because the Lord's coming is near. So, so this passage that we're looking at today is talking about patience, being patient. But we also know that the opposite of patience is impatience. Now, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, when I think of the fruit of the Spirit, I often think about the love and the joy and the peace I don't so often concentrate on the patience. All of the others, if I'm honest, seem that little bit more interesting. It's like, yeah, I really want to have that. Now imagine somebody's paying you a compliment. James, I just want to tell you how, how loving you are and how full of joy. It's such a joy to be around you. James, I just wanted to commend you on your patience. Oh, well, thanks, I, th- I think. But the interesting thing we begin to see about impatience is that it is the root, it's at the root of a lot of things. Another way of looking at it is that impatience creates fertile soil for other things to grow up out of. Now, verses seven and eight talk about impatience with God, which is being the primary problem. And when we think of impatience, we tend to think of being impatient towards people, you know, maybe being impatient with the red light. At the moment, it would be being impatient with social distancing queuing. Well, this is a whole new world, isn't it? Only three people allowed in the shop. And so you're sitting there, you're like, man, there's three people in front of me. That could be a good 25 minutes. I've got so much to do. Uh, Impatience with bosses, impatience with spouses, impatience with children. I'm sure none of you have struggled with that at all. But actually, as we're going to see, ultimately, the reason that kind of impatience is so bad for the soul and so bad in general is because underneath it is an impatience with God, if we'd be willing to admit it. And that's what it's made of. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. He's going to come back. It's great news. He's coming back. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patience means working with delayed gratification. Even the word delayed gratification feels slow. It's not something that I get out of bed with and I'm like, I want the superpower of patience. But maybe it is something that I need. But delayed gratification is so incredibly hard. So difficult. I want it and I want it now. I want an oompa loompa, daddy. That's what I want. Patience means to suffer or to take it without lashing out, without hitting out. You see, when you're in a situation that you're troubled or there's a great deal of pressure on you or something's not happening that you really, really, really want to happen, there's always this temptation to lash out. When you lash out, what happens is you come to the end of your patience. So a patient person is somebody who doesn't lash out. A patient person is somebody who takes it, who takes delayed gratification without lashing out with the hand physically, without lashing out with the tongue, which is what we looked at in James 3. You know, Alice talked about how um, the tongue's like a spark in a forest or it's like a rudder on a ship and it steers the whole thing. What happens is when we're under a great deal of pressure and things aren't going our way is that we lash out verbally and we've got to be so careful. There's also lashing out with our heart and lashing out with our will. And you see, what happens when things aren't going your way is that you might decide, I'm going to take matters back into my own hands. That's what happens. 
It's like, I cannot trust anybody else. I'm gonna to have to sort this out myself. I'm gonna to have to sort this out in my own way. Now, there are good things that we can do in that moment. There are proactive things, but there are also incredibly destructive things that we can do. I am gonna control this situation. I'm gonna lie, I'm gonna cheat, I'm gonna falsely accuse, I'm gonna undermine, I'm gonna use all of the things at my disposal, but not in a godly way. When you lash out with your will, you say, do you know what, I just deserve a break today. And you begin to escape and you say, I'm gonna have to do something about this. I can't have this, so I'm gonna have this. I know it's wrong and I know it's not the right thing to do, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And at this point, if you lose patience and you lash out with your heart, that's what's called self-pity. And self-pity will set you up to do almost anything. Because we're all gonna face really difficult moments in life. No win situations where you're like, well, if I do this, I can't win. And if I do this, I can't win. So what do I do? And there are an awful lot of little seeds in your life, things that have been planted over the years that can take root and begin to grow in this fertile soil of impatience. We all have the potential to be mean and cruel. And they're there, these little seeds, they're there. And then what happens is if you start to throw a whole load of self-pity on there, almost anything can begin to sprout. And self-pity is lashing out with your heart. A patient person deals with delayed gratification by not lashing out. And they're willing to submit to the Lord's plans and purposes. That's the key thing. It's to not take control back from the Lord in this circumstance. It is to wait, to wait patiently. Now, this is what we might call in the vineyard the not yet of the kingdom. Things that we long to see happen. Now, not everything that we desire is a part of God's kingdom. Absolutely. There are, there are motivations and the desires that we have that are not from God. But many times there are things that we hope for, that we long for, that we're praying for, that are in line with God's heart as well. You know, for instance, we're praying for somebody's healing. Somebody in our family or somebody we know closely has got cancer. And we're like praying, God, you've got to step in. You've got to break in. We're praying for a new relationship that we long to have. We're praying for a, for a new job. It's like, Lord, I know you've given me this and it's all right, but I'm not using the talents and things that you've really made me for. Lord, I'm longing that you'd open up a job here. For some of you, like, I just want a job, any job. Just give me a job. Praying for new friendships, praying for reconciliation with a family member, praying for, for our friends to come to know Jesus. We're waiting and not everything that we're waiting for will happen in our lifetime. We live in a broken and imperfect world where we see the kingdom breaking in and the rule and reign of God breaking into our current reality. And it's the most glorious thing when we see God's kingdom come. We see a hopeless situation. We see a relationship that's completely broken that God just begins to turn around. When we see somebody who's far from God suddenly see him, they've walked away and suddenly they glimpse Jesus. Jesus breaks in through a dream and suddenly, or somebody speaks into their life and it changes. That's the kingdom coming. But there are many, many things that we're waiting for in this life. And the model James gives us here is of a farmer. And it's a really, really helpful picture. He says, here, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. Now, for a Palestinian farmer, there were only really two rains that had to come. You couldn't plant until you had the autumn rain because you'd have had this very, very hot summer. 
and it was the autumn rain that would have put the moisture into the soil in order that you can plant. And of course, there's always the danger of being impatient, saying, well, I've just got to plant. Where's the autumn rain I have to plant? But if you went ahead and planted, then nothing's going to come up. But there was another temptation, and it was far more subtle. It's one thing to say, well, I can't plant. Look at the ground. There's nothing but dust. You can normally resist that temptation. But if you've planted and everything's come up, but the spring rains haven't come, the reason the spring rains were there was because if you harvested before the spring rains, your harvest would be almost nothing. It was the spring rains that made the grain swell up and fill out. The great temptation was to say, well, do you know what? These rains are never going to come. These rains are never going to come. We've just got to cut our losses. We're just going to have to harvest early. We could lose everything if we don't get out there and at least gather something. If they gather what they'd have, they just have a really only a fraction of what they ought to have. But if we're willing to wait and wait for those spring rains, do you see? Do you see what, what he's setting up here? That's why James is able to say, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient. And what? Stand firm. Wait. Stand. Take your stand. Trust and wait. There's really no shortcut to this graciousness that grows in the hearts of people who are willing to be obedient to the Lord and just to wait. Not to take over, not to take control, not to say, I've got to sort this situation. But it's like, Lord, give me the patience. Help me wait. First Samuel 13 is a great example that we find in the scriptures of where we see impatience coming in and blowing up King Saul's life. King Saul has received from riches from a raid. They've raided a Philistine outpost and, you know, some stuff's come back to them. But the Philistines, Philistines are incredibly unhappy about this, as, as you can imagine. And so they've assembled their army and it's huge. And Saul looks at it, he's like, oh, what have I done? I imagine in that moment. And it says in verse eight, verse eight, all the troops were with him were quaking with fear. OK, they knew they were in big doo-doo. They were in trouble. Saul's waiting for Samuel to come and to offer kind of um, the sacrifice and a blessing. And he knew that he, as the king, was not able to do that, that he needed to wait for Samuel to come. And so he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. And it reaches the point where he just gives up waiting and he takes over. He's like, I'm just going to do it anyway. And so he gives the sacrifice to the Lord, which he shouldn't have done. And Samuel comes. And Samuel said, well, the Lord commanded we offer sacrifices, so we did. And Samuel said, but not that way, not the way in which you've done it. Yes, you are commanded, but you had to wait. What did you do? You cut the corner, you disobeyed the Lord. So it's like, but the end justifies the means. And Samuel says, no disobedience is never justified. And Saul, Saul, Saul turns around to Samuel and says, I've, I've really messed up, haven't I? And Samuel says, yes, you've really re- messed up. This is a big deal. Today, God has taken the kingdom away from you. Samuel walks away and Saul grabs Samuel and tore a piece of his cloak. And Samuel said, just as you tore my cloak, so the Lord is tearing the kingdom away from you today. <laughs> massive, massive. But at the heart of this impatience, I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm going to take things 
into my own hands. I'm going to control this situation. A little thing leads to a bigger thing. The self-pity, the pride, the self-centeredness, the just to say, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. You, you don't know me. You don't know. You're not in charge. I know what I'm doing. And the example that I've used is pretty powerful, but it's right there in the pages of scripture, which shows what happens in patience. And therefore, how important patience is. Wait patiently. It's not a little deal, patience. It's a big thing because impatience can be so destructive. But waiting's tough. Wait patiently. Don't grumble against one another, verse 9, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't let your impatience lead to grumbling against one another. James's argument is the real judge is standing at the door. You are not the judge and be careful what you say. So to understand that mercy has been shown to us enables us to extend mercy, patience. We can be patient because the Lord is so patient with us. Don't you think, I don't know about you, but God has to be so patient because I get it wrong so often. And he, he has this incredible patience. So in the same way that the Lord is patient with us, we are to be patient with one another. People are works in progress in the same way that we're just a work in progress. So imagine our plans frustrated, we're disappointed, and then we turn into grumbling about others and we stop liking people. I'm sure none of you have experienced this. They're so annoying. They've done this and they've done that. And our soul becomes cluttered and impatient. Just want to give you a, an example from my own life. I was praying with somebody a couple of weeks ago and we just kind of dialed it all down. We just slowed down and just took a moment just to ask the Lord, reveal what's going on with my soul. Again, what, what am I feeling? Like bring it to the surface. What is it that's churning? Reveal. And the Lord does, when we ask him that prayer, he loves to step in and he's like, I wanna show you what's going on. I was like, oh. And out of it, the Lord just gave me this picture just as I was sitting there and I just had this phrase, slow down my soul. Slow down my soul. It was like a gift. It was like an invitation to the Lord. And he was just saying, I want you to slow it down in here. Now, externally, there might not have been loads going on, but internally, I felt cluttered and I felt impatient. That was the emotion that I was feeling. You know, when you're just feeling angsty all of the time, it's impatient. I want, want to see this change. I want to see this happen. The Lord's like, slow down my soul. He just gave me that. It's like his grace to me. As I stopped and I came before him with just my stuff and I'm just like, Lord, reveal. He's like, slow down my soul. And I've been working on that for the last couple of weeks. I'm like, Lord, what does that even mean? So it's one thing to get a phrase. And then actually I spent some time with my prayer person just unpacking that next half an hour, 45 minutes. Well, what would it look like to slow down my soul? Choosing to let God be God. It's the same as choosing to wait patiently. Choosing to let God be God. Choosing to do what Jesus asks you to do every day rather than dealing with things outside of your control. There is so much we can't control right now. And all he's asking us to, to do is what's in front of us. Choosing to let God put things in perspective. One of the greatest things about slowing down is saying, God, show me your perspective on this. So often we don't even do that. We're, we're too busy running away and being like, you need to do this and God, you need to do this. And when we stop and we surrender, we're just like, could you show me what you think about this situation? 
Choosing to spend time with Jesus to let him speak into your soul. Slow down my soul. Now that's my prayer. That's, my, that's what God's doing with me. Don't let impatience consume me. Brothers and sisters, an example of this, verse 10, of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who've persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We'll just give an example after example in the scriptures of those who waited on the Lord's instructions. How did they do it? Through by taking on the Lord's compassion and mercy. And then the passage then moves on from talking about patience to prayer because the two are inextricably linked. Wait patiently, pray fervently. Now being patient is not being passive. It doesn't mean we don't care, that we don't want things to change. It doesn't mean becoming apathetic and resigned. It doesn't even mean that we're not angry. The challenge is to deal with our anger in a healthy way. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin. So it's not saying you're not going to get angry. It's just saying don't let sin come in when you feel this emotion. Do not lash out. It means trusting in the Lord and in his timing, trusting in the Lord and in his mighty power, letting the Lord fight our battles. One of the interesting things that I found out this week was that James had a couple of nicknames. Nicknames are always a funny thing, but, and this is a really funny nickname. He was called Camel Knees. Camel Knees. And you're thinking, wow, he must have had some pretty bad knees. They cannot have been that attractive. The reason that why James was called this was because he spent so much time praying on his knees. What a thing to be known for. So when James talks about the subject of prayer, we know he has a nickname called Camel Knees. We know this guy knows what he's talking about. James finishes the book by talking about praying fervently. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anybody happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. What he's saying is, whatever situation you, you find yourself in, whether you are in complete joy or utter despair or anywhere in between in that spectrum, Prayers to be the posture of your souls. Invite God in, invite God in, invite God in, invite God in. That's what happens in deep friendship. You share whatever the circumstance and the season. That's what happens when you're really great friends. You just want to tell them and it's the same with the Lord. Now, there's a great deal that I could say about this last passage. Praying for healing when people are sick. We're a church that prays for the sick and we absolutely believe in that. And I'd encourage you at the end, we'd love to pray if, for you, if, if you're sick right now, and we believe that God's power is available for people for them to be healed, the, the now of the kingdom. Confessing our sins to one another, honesty and transparency are so important. There's incredible power in confession. But I want to finish by focusing in on verse 15. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here James is telling us the kind of prayer that works. Prayer that comes from a place of deep friendship with God. Now, every prayer is valuable. Every prayer is valuable because it's connection with the Lord. It's speaking to him. However, here James is talking about prayer that is powerful and effective. Prayer that changes things. If waiting stands in the not yet of the kingdom, then powerful and effective prayer stands in the now of the kingdom. This is where we hold these together, the not yet of the kingdom and the now of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God breaking into the now. 
the sick being healed, the broken restored, people come, coming to faith in Jesus, authoritative prayer, prayer that pushes back the kingdom of darkness. I've had this song going around my mind, it's an old one, but every prayer, a powerful weapon, strongholds come tumbling down and down and down and down. In this time of restriction, I believe that the Lord is wanting to create and forge a church that's on its knees in fervent prayer. We're not passive. You know, there is so much that we cannot do right now. We cannot gather in the same way. But there is so much that we can do. And I believe that the Lord is calling us to our knees in prayer. He knows exactly what's going on in this situation. He's got the whole world in his hands. He knows. But I believe that he's wanting to birth something in us as a people. As the Western Church, this isn't just for us in Vineyard Church Cardiff. This is for the whole of the Western Church. We have got distracted with things. Things that are all right, but they're not ultimate. And prayer is the starting place and the central place of intimacy and deep friendship with God. And so he's bringing, we're on our knees. He's teaching us to pray. So often we feel, you know, that in the Western church, we're asked to go and teach around the, the rest of the world. Do you know what? The rest of the world has got so much to teach us about prayer. The persecuted church teaches to pray. This book James written was written to a scattered, a persecuted, scattered church. We are scattered, not persecuted in the same way, but nonetheless under pressure. And the last four months have been a period of refining for our society at large. And in the midst of it, we need to not miss what God is doing and what he is breathing into his church. And in order to enter a new season in life, we most often have to go through a period of discomfort, a paradigm shift. The, the Lord just begins to change the way that we think. And I haven't been able to get over James' nickname being Camel Knees. A man whose deep friendship with God, whose power came from a dependence on God. When we depend on him, we pray. The biggest thing right now in this moment is that we choose to distract ourselves. When we come to prayer, there are so many tools, there are so many ways that we can do it. But for me, at the heart of it, we have to choose not to be distracted by other things. We have to choose to come to the Lord. We've got to make space. It's as simple as that. The Bible talks about praying in all sorts of different ways. I don't think God minds how we pray. I don't think he minds how we have that connection. We're all wired differently. He just says, I want you to make time. And so I just want to encourage you this week. So easy just at the end of the day to kind of fall into bed, having had a stressful day. Jeremy is like, you got through the day and you just fall into bed. Sometimes... I just would love it if you'd just be like, Lord, I want to sit before you with my soul. Reveal my soul to me. Show me what's going on. Show me how to pray. A second thing is, if you're struggling with prayer, the easiest way is to pray with somebody else. Find somebody to help you pray. You'd just be like, hey, do you know what? Can we just have 10 minutes on a Friday morning or half an hour on a Friday morning? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when. But start to pray if you're, if you're married. Start to pray with your spouse. Prayer is so central. And so we've got this. We've got the picture of the kingdom. The not yet of the kingdom and the now of the kingdom. And so we've got to hold this tension together. Wait patiently. Pray fervently. Because there is incredible power in those two things.
Thanks so much for joining us. Remember you can tune into our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church and now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website cardiffvineyard.org and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.